0: Let's have a prayer together as we get started. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for how you have invaded our lives and caused us to surrender to you and to your will. Thank you for this particular body. Thank you for each individual here. Thank you for those who will hear this message via the website, or some other way. We bless you and we praise you, Lord. I ask for your anointing and your anointing on this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you can see the title of this message is This is the Will of God, or Practicing His Universal Will While Praying for His Unique Will for us. One of the great questions we face in life is what is God's will for my life? What's his plan for me? What am I missing that I'm supposed to be achieving? And uh, some of us are very much plagued by this question, uh, so much so that we get frustrated at times and we might say something like this, God, would you just tell me what in the heck I am supposed to be doing? (laughs) When we ask these questions, we usually have in mind a specific concern, like a job or a love relationship or finances or ministry options. We're usually at some kind of a crossroads, uh, but not always. We're wanting to know God's will for us. And when we want to know about issues like this, life direction issues, we might call it the unique will of God, the unique will of God for us. But there is another dimension of God's will in the Bible, and that is what is God's will for everyone, what God wills for everyone, and that is what might be called his universal will, as I've written on the slide. This is his will for everyone, that we believe in him, that we obey his commands, that we're in right relationship with him, we live for him, we want to please him and glorify him. Now, if you think about it, it makes no sense to believe we can hear clearly God's unique Will for our lives if we aren't being obedient to his universal will. In other words, God's universal will is required before his unique will is revealed. Does that make sense to you guys? In other words, if we're willfully being disobedient to him, why would he become draw near to us and share? his most intimate thoughts toward us about his plan for our life. For example, in the left-hand column there, you see some scriptures that indicate why this couldn't happen. For example, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Let me turn to that one so I can read it. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, neither is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But it is your iniquities that have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Over in verse 9 and part of verse 10 we read, We hope for light, but behold, we experience darkness. We want brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope along the wall like blind men. We grope like those who have no eyes. And so if we're walking in willful sin, we're blind, we're blinded, and we cannot discern the unique will of God for us. Sin separates us from God, doesn't it? And then in James 1, um, we read about not being deceived, that a double-minded man will not receive anything from the Lord. And then in Galatians chapter 6, Verses 7 and 8, we read this. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap, reap eternal life. So... A double-minded man won't receive anything god isn't mocked we sow what we reap and then also sin separates but on the right hand column you see the other side of the coin proverbs 3:32 talks about how god is intimate with the upright isn't that a beautiful verse god is intimate with the upright and then in 1 john 5 14 and 15 we read and this is the confidence we have which we have before him that is if we ask anything what according to his will he hears us and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him in John 14:21 we read sort of a similar verse, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and what? I will disclose myself to him. And then Matthew 5, 8, it's one of the um, Beatitudes, it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? see God. They, the pure in heart, will see God. Assurance of doing His will is based on doing His universal will. Assurance of His unique will is based on doing His universal will. Look at 1 John 3, 21 and 22, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us because we're practicing his universal will, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him, his unique will in our lives because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Again, his universal will. So there it is. This verse is saying if we keep God's commandment, commandments, his universal will, that is, we will encounter his unique response when we ask him for direction in our individual lives. But if we demand his personal guidance while at the same time divide, uh, defying his universal will, we're self-deceived and not really directable, are we? The fact is that though we're saying we want God's will, we've already proven that what we want God actually to do is rubber stamp our will, and we end up trying to manipulate God. Maybe you've heard the story of the little boy named Johnny. Johnny was about to turn seven, and he started pestering his mom for a bike. He said, Mom, give me a bike in a very demanding way. He said this over and over for a couple weeks before his birthday. Well his mom decided to make it a teaching moment so she said, Johnny you have been very disobedient lately and I can't believe this demanding tone you're using with me about this bike. I want you to go up to your room and I want you to sit down and write a letter to God about why you should get a bike. So Johnny went up to his room and grabbed a piece of paper and a pencil, and he sat down at his desk, and he said, he wrote, Dear God, this is Johnny. I've been a really good boy. Give me a bike. But as he looked at it, he thought, No, that's just really a lie. And so he crumpled up the paper, and he threw it in the trash, and he started again, and he said, Dear God, this is Johnny. I've been a pretty good boy. Give me a bike. And uh, he looked at that and he said, Well, I haven't even really been pretty good. I know God won't accept that. So he ripped that up and he threw it in the trash. And then he started again and he said, Dear God, I've been a really bad boy. Give me a bike. And then he thought, no, even though I'm being honest, I don't think God's going to do this. So he threw that in the trash. But then he had an idea. And without further ado, he raced down the stairs, through the kitchen, past his mom, and said, Mom, I'm going to the church down on the corner. And out the door he went. And his mother thought, wow, he is really taking this seriously. This is great. Well, he ran down to the church. It was actually a Catholic church. No one was in there, so he ran up to the altar, and he grabbed an 18-inch statue of Mary. He ran back to his house. Avoiding his mother, he went up the stairs, set Mary on the desk in front of him, and started a new letter. Dear God, this is Johnny. Give me a bike. I have your mother. We're like Johnny sometimes, aren't we? Well, the will of God or the Father's will occurs over 20 times in the New Testament. The commands of Jesus, most scholars number those around 50. But the phrase, this is the will of God, specifically, or such is the will of God, only appears four times in the New Testament, only appears four times. It's as if the witness of Scripture is saying, if you want to know the will of God, be obedient to him and please him by starting with these four. In his book, The Four Wills of God, Dr. Emerson Egerich highlights these four wills arguing that if we are obedient to these four precisely defined universal wills of God, first we can be confident that we are in the will of God. Also, we can be confident that he will direct us in his unique will for our lives. And then finally, he says, we can be confident that if we have a decision to make, and we've prayed about it extensively, and we've sought godly counsel, and yet heaven or God is still silent. We're free to quote, do what seems good to us. As in 1 Corinthians 7.39, in Acts 15, several places. That 1 Corinthians 7.39 verse is about widows who want to marry again. It actually says, Let her marry. Whom she wishes. You know, we think about marriage being a very God directed decision, and it should be a very prayerful and God directed decision. But it's fascinating that the scriptures there say, let her marry whom she wishes. And then also in Acts 15, a very big decision was being made by the church how to uh, guide the Gentiles into the faith, and uh, the, there are places where it says it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, and there are places where it says it seemed good to us. And so even with these very big decisions, some places in Scripture there's quite a bit of latitude for us to decide. That's a whole section of the book that we're not going to cover today, um, but it is interesting to think about. I will be quoting quite a bit from this book. So now let's take a look at the four wills of God highlighted specifically in Scripture with the phrases this is the will of God or such is the will of God according to the word. The first will is from John 6 verse 40. This is the will of my Father that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. Here's the second will from 1 Thessalonians 5.18. And everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The third will is from 1 Peter 2.13-15. Submit yourself, or yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And here's the fourth will from First Thessalonians 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So in summary then, here are the four wills of God that are stated precisely in the scriptures. Believe in Jesus Christ. In everything, give thanks. Submit in doing right and abstain from sexual sin. Now, uh, excuse me, Dr. Egerich writes, these four wills are highlighted in gold, so to speak. Follow these as a starting place and you will be in a position to have confidence you are in the will of God. He will reveal, reveal his unique will to you as you ask him to lead you, as the Apostle John taught, and he's referring to that verse we already looked at um, in 1 John three, twenty one through twenty two. Now, just a few caveats that I want to make. Are these four wills, as stated in Scripture, are they the only places we read about the will of God? Of course not. There's many places that talk about the will of God. Are we to conclude, because these particular uh, areas have that phrase, this is the will of God or such is the, the will of God, are we to conclude that the Holy Spirit is highlighting these or elevating these um, above the other wills of God? Uh, Dr. Egerich, interestingly, says yes. Uh, I'm not so Sure. I'm not so sure how to weigh um, the will of God and, frankly, don't want to take take the time to to try to figure that out. But should we be aware of these four unique verses and secure a bottom-line obedience in our minds and hearts to what they say? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so it's in that spirit that I want to bring these to you this morning. So let's spend a minute touching on these four wills of God. The first one is believe in Jesus Christ. You know, I think all possible knowing of the unique will of God for our lives starts by believing in Jesus Christ. Amen? Pretty simple and yet profound. We need to receive God's Son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior and Lord and God's sacrifice of the Son on the cross as the way God has offered to us the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. Here are some of the verses that just came to my mind as I thought about this prerequisite to knowing the unique will of God. He who has the Son has life, but he who has not the Son of God has not life. But to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. For there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom God has sent. We could cite many other verses. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. We could. Sight versus Jesus said himself, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the resurrection and the life. Before Abraham was, I am. And I also think of Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Yes, it starts with knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But in regarding to his will, I want to remind you that one of the names for Christ in the Scriptures is our Great Shepherd. Isn't that beautiful? He is our Great Shepherd. John chapter 10, verses 26 through 30. Uh, Excuse me. Uh, Verses... 14 and 15 says, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. Isn't it wonderful that the great shepherd, he leads us, he guides us, he teaches us, he reproves us, he responds to us, and he gives us peace. You know, it's in those moments where heaven is silent and all your expectations are not being met, and all the landmarks that you use to guide you and ways that you even think about yourself, when all those are kicked out from under you, those are the times where God secures your soul to Him. Amen? Those are the times when... You, you, you just, everything's stripped away, and you say, I'm going to trust in God alone. And it doesn't matter if I'm being viewed or I'm not being viewed. I'm going to trust in God alone. How many of you have had moments like that? Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I've told this story before, but I remember graduating from seminary, being led to TCF, and there was no job here. And ever since I was saved at 17, I had set my cap to be a minister. And since there was no job here, and yet I knew I was called here, that meant I had to go find a job out there. And I was terrified, because I wasn't trained to do anything else. Um, And I remember feeling lost, and like all the landmarks, all who I thought I was, all I had set my life to do had been kicked out from under me, and I was with Jim in his office, and I was bawling like a baby and saying, Jim, I, I just am so confused, I'm lost, I don't know what I'm supposed to do or who I am anymore. And he didn't say, um, hang in there, buddy. You know, God's right around the corner. He didn't say anything trite. He said, you will be a better man for it. And um, I, I believe he's right because I did learn that I could make a living out there and I no longer had fear about that or about the future. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21 says, Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, even Jesus our Lord, may he equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I remember Gordon quoting some mystic saint who said, We are small change in the pocket of God, available to be spent by him frivolously. Isn't that a thought-provoking quote? (laughs) Yeah. Praise the Lord. Now, um, the second will, when it comes to thanksgiving, I had a little trouble when my neighbor built a fence down the middle of my driveway a few weeks ago. I've lived in, Laura and I have lived in our home about 25 years. We've used this entrance to our driveway that entire time. And our somewhat new neighbor who lives in Hong Kong all but three weeks of the year, she was home for those three weeks and she decided that she was tired of us driving on five feet or so of her land for fifteen yards and so she built this fence in a hurry she told me what she was going to do and um, you know i thought surely this fence is going to be torn down by the city by the fire marshal uh, i thought for sure it My title insurance will cover this, or I'll find an easement in my uh, sale papers. Uh, Something will happen. Um, Everybody and their brother were telling Laura and me that um, there's no way this can not get torn down. But guess what? (laughs) Nobody saved us. Not the city, not the fire marshal, not our paperwork and not the Lord and so we have this uh, going on well so you can see there that as we would pull out our left tire would tires would go up on a hill and uh, our neighbors would be on the other side of the fence reading the paper laughing taking pictures and uh, I felt humiliated I felt violated I felt very angry and i felt mocked and so i thought and spoke many unsavory and sinful things about my neighbor and but then laura and i came to church one particular sunday and uh, the conviction of the lord came upon me and i invited laura home for a time of repentance and we, did, we tried to do what Job did. We tried to worship the Lord, to repent. We tried to offer the Lord thanksgiving and uh, forgive our neighbors. I appreciate that in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.18, it doesn't say give thanks for everything. It just says, give thanks in the midst of everything. And uh, you can see here, everything gives thanks. What? Um, Sometimes it seems so crazy and counterintuitive. But we can thank God for who He is. Amen? We can thank God that He's with us in every challenge. That nothing, absolutely nothing, is outside His control that he bears our burdens with us, that he cares for us. And Dr. Egridge says we can thank God for what he calls the unseen good. The unseen good. Isn't that a great uh, articulation of what we, we sense? That because his word says all things work together toward good, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So even though we're seeing this can't be good, uh, we can praise God for some unseen good down the road. And so we thank him. Think about the benefits of thanksgiving for a second. A thankful heart easily forgives, doesn't it? Or more easily forgives than a bitter heart. A thankful heart creates resiliency or is resilient. A thankful heart spreads joy and a thankful heart pleases God. And I didn't write it up here but I would also say a thankful heart invites the windows of heaven to open and God's favor to come and rest upon us. His favor and his blessing. Give thanks in everything. The third one is submit in doing right submit in doing right well the word submit or submission is a dirty word in our culture isn't it our culture hates this word so much that it is promoting the notion today of not even submitting to one's God assigned gender if you don't want to That's a sad thing but I love the word submission. Submission is a beautiful, beautiful thing. I love it when you see a man who is completely submitted to the Lordship of Christ. I love to see a woman or a wife who is submitted to her husband for the sake of the Lord. I love kids who are submitted To their parents, genuinely submitted and happy to serve them and honor them. I love the beauty of a church where the leaders are submitted to God. David prayed, May those who fear the Lord see me and be glad, because I wait for thy word. One way to think about ourselves as Christians is that we are a surrendered people. We have, uh, we have raised the, right, the white flag with God, haven't we? We've said, you win, and I will be your royal subject. The battle is over, he's vanquished us, and we are ecstatic to be his royal subjects. What peace we have, what joy we have, oh, how we experience his love. Again, it's in the deepest storms of our lives that he truly secures our souls to himself our deepest pleasure becomes pleasing the lord our deepest pleasure so we develop a fierce desire to do what is right no matter who is watching or not watching we do it for god so egrich tells a story in his book about a friend and his wife who lost a uh, $2,800 wedding ring. Well, thankfully they had insurance, so they filed it with their insurance company and the insurance company quickly wrote them a check for $2,800 with this caveat, if you find the ring in the future, please turn it into us. Well, sure enough, a couple years later, they find the ring in the, uh, in a, uh, in the lining of a suitcase. And of course, Egerich says, my friend's immediate thought was, no one needs to know. And now we have a diamond we could sell for $2,800. And if you know how life works. I'm sure this was a time where they were strapped. You know, not just a, a time of plenty, but a time where they really needed that $2,800. But the man had the... He had his, his hat on in the Lord, and he... So he contacted the insurance company and and sent them the ring. Um, An administrator of the insurance company reported back to his friend's insurance agent saying, quote, we have never had a person send headquarters an item that was lost but then found. We don't know what to do with the diamond. Should we keep it or sell it? We have no policy in place since this has never happened. (laughs) Even though their contract explicitly tells the insured to do this, no one ever did it until Dr. Egerich's friend. He goes on to write, ill-gotten gains, according to Proverbs 10.2, rob a person of sleep and cause one to look over the shoulder. His friend says he had an extraordinary peace and freedom blood his soul after he made the call to the insurance company. Egrich writes, the subconscious never forgets and neither does the Lord. If he were to keep the money, a believer gets away with nothing, but suffers the loving discipline of God as well as forfeiting the unique leading and favor of God. I can tell you this about my friend. Few are encountering the hand of God in their lives like he is. God's favor is all over this gentleman. So let's just determine it right now that if something like that happens to us, we'll take care of it. I've got a situation in my life like that that I need to take care of. So my commitment to you is I will do that very soon. Colossians 3 Twenty two through twenty four says, Slaves, who we are, by the way, slaves of Christ, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. The fourth one is abstain from sexual immorality. So much could be said about this topic. Certainly almost every boy and man and some women have to fight hard every day for sexual purity in our over-sexualized culture. Recently, out of the blue, Laura thanked me for fighting hard against sexual temptation. And that really blessed me it blessed me because she did it without judgment she did it without interrogation and she did it without making it about her she encouraged me in a battle that only I can fight along with brothers anyway what I want to focus in on here is this um, common practice in our culture of living together before marriage that I guess is up to about two-thirds of uh, couples who are considering marriage are now living together on a trial basis. We could talk about how sex outside of marriage makes you stupid. Um, The reason we say that is because how can you make an emotionally clean decision about a future spouse if you're involved sexually with them? Secondly, sex outside of marriage leads to a loss of faith. I've seen this over and over and over again, that if a young person or even an older saint chooses that lifestyle, they, it, it's, it's impossible to not lose or erode, at least, your faith over time. And then Egerich says that a woman moves in with a man to prove to him that she loves him. A man moves in with a woman to determine if he loves her. But all of that aside, what I want to talk about is that our sexual practices are closely aligned with God's will in our lives. If we are rejecting God's rules about sex and sexuality, the Bible says we're rejecting God Himself. Well, where does it say that? Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. Finally, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, that you may excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by, and notice this, by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. There's that phrase, your sanctification, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. I used to think that phrase possess your own vessel meant the other person that you're involved with that might become your spouse but I think the truth is this is talking about your own body that you each of you know how to possess your own body in sanctification and honor not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God and that no man transgress and defraud his brother In the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Now, listen to this last verse, verse 8. Consequently, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. I don't want anyone to be condemned here. We, we, we make many mistakes in our lives, but I do pray that the conviction of the Holy Spirit would be on us if we are failing in any of these four areas. Um, so let's review them one more time, and I want to ask the question, are you practicing these four wills of God? Believe in Jesus Christ, give thanks in everything, submit in doing right, and abstain from sexual immorality. I think you want to know God's unique will for your life. And I think you agree with me that doing his universal will has to be a prerequisite to his unique will. So I want to pray for any who want to get a fresh start in one or more of these areas. Nobody will point out which area you're struggling with, but you know, and the Lord knows. And so, if you would like to pray for a fresh start in one of these areas that is specifically sort of mandated as this is the will of God, would you stand and I'll pray with you. After we're done praying for those who stand, we're going to pray for any who are standing in these universals, um, but are also at a, un- at a place where they really are asking God to show them his unique will for their lives. So first, let's pray for those who want a fresh start. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that is so clear and so powerful. And uh, I ask you to place your watchful eye on those of us who are standing and repenting. We are having a change of mind, and we are saying we want to do one or more of these four things. We ask you to forgive us, Lord. And we ask you to give us a fresh start in practicing these four universal wills of yours. We know we won't do it perfectly, but we pray, Father, that we would be consistent, that we would literally practice these things and be pleasing to you. Again, forgive us and give us your grace, Lord to walk these out in Jesus' name. Now, for any who would like to just be asking God, you're kind of at a crossroads perhaps in some way, and you want to be asking God to reveal his unique will for your life. Father, we thank you for those who are at that type of place, who are desperate to hear your voice, Lord. I pray that you would speak from heaven, that you would lead and guide either through circumstances or godly counsel or the peace that passes understanding or the arrangement of circumstances or a knowing that is without description. We pray for your Holy Spirit to speak to these. And may they look forward in faith with expectancy that you will respond to their prayers. With your loving guidance, we commit it to you in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen and amen.